0: For me, um, Black feminisms and Black feminists, um, what they offered is meaning, right? Mm. They provided me with um, a language to both ex- understand and explain my experiences. Um, black feminism means that I am not alone. Mm-hmm. Right? And there are women who share similar experiences who are standing next to me. And among those women are are people who who resist, who create, who transform. Now I'm sounding like a, a rapper
1: who advocates? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You know,
0: so uh, and they and they serve as a source of inspiration for me, right? But at its core, uh, it means it means that I matter, right? Mm-hmm. This chocolate black girl. From the hood matters, right? Mm-hmm. When when the world and everything about the world is telling her that she is nothing, that she will not be believed, that she has nothing to offer the world of relevance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what it's taught me is that I matter
1: Hey y'all, welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I'm your host, Rochelle Pope. Today we're discussing the ways Black women have navigated, negotiated, and learned how to thrive in the academy with Krista Porter, Tande Sule, and Natasha Kroon. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com, on YouTube, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Stylus Publishing. Visit Styluspub.com and use the promo code Now for 30% off and free shipping. This episode is also sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just and caring and thriving campus. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast for more information about each of these sponsors. As I mentioned, I'm Rochelle Pope. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm broadcasting from Williamsville, New York, near the campus of the University of Buffalo, where I serve as the senior associate dean for faculty and student affairs and the unit diversity officer for the Graduate School of Education. I'm also a professor in the higher education student affairs programs. The University of Buffalo is situated on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Haudenosaunee people. So about today, despite their overwhelming success in higher education, black women continue to be devalued, discriminated against and harmed by the colleges and universities where they work or attend school. Their unique standpoints, epistemologies, and praxis have always challenged the standard white hegemony of higher education. And yet, in higher education, we have had few texts that highlights, explains, and uplifts the unique intersectional perspectives of Black women as scholars, activists, and teachers. I'm joined today by Drs. Krista Porter, Tande Sule, and Natasha Kroon the editors of the flyest book out right now, Black Feminist Epistemology, Research and Practice, Narratives in and Through the Academy. I am so excited to have this important conversation. So I want to thank you for joining me today for this episode of Student Affairs Now, and welcome um, to the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Can you begin by telling us a bit about you, your current role on campus, and a bit about your pathway in higher education? Krista, I'm going to ask you to start us off.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. So my name is Dr. Krista J. Porter. My pronouns are she, her. I serve as Associate Dean of our Graduate College and Associate Professor in Higher Ed Administration at Kent State University. The traditional people this land in Northeast Ohio, belongs to include the nations of the Delaware, Miami, Mingo, Ottawa, Shawnee, Wyandot, and Cayuga. I pay respect to the traditions, ancestors, and to the contemporary cultural and spiritual practices of indigenous peoples. Yeah. I also acknowledge the United States and the many higher ed institutions were built at the often fatal expense of my ancestors who were forcefully enslaved black people. So about me and my various roles, I honor those who came before me, by continually uplifting and making space for those coming after. I specifically came to this work as a McNair Scholar, shout out to McNair Scholars in the House, salient of my intersectional identities as a black woman student leader. I couldn't always name what I was experiencing as a first-gen student um, in predominantly white spaces, but I came to fall in love with research and this thing called sort of scholarship in grad school. Similar to many in student affairs, I aspired to be this VP of student affairs or dean of students, right? But then I realized that I could also do some work in the classroom and through the intellectual platform. So I began to understand the power, uh, air quotes, when it came to sort of counter narrating this discourse upon which our field of student affairs so heavily rely, right? So specifically in terms of socialization, faculty, staff and students, student success and theory to practice. So I joined the professoriate 10 years ago and recently accepted my role in the other side of the house if you will, as an academic administrator. So I became one of the voices that I needed as a student.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, thank you. Tandy, are you gonna go next?
0: Yes, I'll go next. Uh, Hello everyone, my name is Tandy Sule. My pronouns are she, her. I currently reside in the contemporary and ancestral lands of Anishinaabe. I work at Oakland University. I um, serve as an associate professor, as well as a program coordinator. Okay, this journey to higher ed. (laughs) Uh, Until very recently, I was the first and only member of my immediate family who graduated from college, Mm -hmm. right? And so, um that led me to think about how higher education can be more accessible to black folks mm-hmm. and to poor people. Because mm-hmm. i I was both, right? Still to a certain extent. Yeah. Right. Um, and so my research, my scholarship focuses on uh, how people belong, particularly marginalized people, belong in higher education spaces. And with a specific interest in uh, looking at how people resist and transform in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's what my work is about. A little bit more about me. I am a poet. Uh, trying to get back to that. I'm also a world traveler and uh, dance and music. I'll give you a little move. Hey. Dance and hey. music. Hey. <laughs> <Enthusiasm>. <laughs> so that's just, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Thank you. Thank you.
3: So hello. My name is Dr. Natasha Kroom, and my personal gender pronouns are she and her. I am currently occupying ancestral and traditional homelands of the Cherokee, where those lands were seized and eventually would become Clemson University as a result of being built by enslaved peoples and convict laborers. Um and, you know, sometimes I hear a lot of these land acknowledgments, and it frustrates me because it usually stops there. So, When I give these, I like to actually, in order to hold myself accountable to to the people, say that, you know, given this history and these acknowledgments, my commitments to indigenous communities here in my current role at Clemson Center around access to graduate education for indigenous communities. I'm the Associate Dean for Academic and Student Affairs in the Graduate School and Associate Professor of Higher Education and Student Affairs. My commitments to identifying and disrupting inequities and interlocking systems systems of oppression in higher education are really rooted in living, (laughs) living as a black girl and woman and learning from and acting alongside black women, black trans folks, women and men of color and queer folks. My appreciation for research and activism developed in undergrad where I too was a Ronald E. McNair scholar and one of few non-student athlete black students at a Hispanic serving institution. And, you know, I would say that I had a very what we used to call traditional over uh, overly enthusiastic undergraduate experience. So I was student body president, president of the Texas a m chancellor student advisory board, president of my sorority, president of the chess club and the billiards club. I literally started um, a Wednesday afternoon um, live broadcast where I would stand in the quad with a microphone um, and it was called Politically Incorrect. I'm just trying to talk to my colleagues and my peers or, you know, on campus. Um, and so I feel like this work that I do now, it's been in me the whole time. But I would say my doctoral experience had a profound impact in that I saw Black women and other people of color, queer people of color and white queer folks who really role modeled the possibilities of being and doing academic work from critical and equity centered perspectives. And according to them, I was going to be a faculty member. <laughs> I don't know that I saw that for myself, but literally when your advisor says to you, and I am putting her on blast here, that she's not writing any letters of recommendation for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're going to do. Um, And so, you know, even though I didn't see that in myself, they really poured into me. And so I believe that the work I do, regardless of the role I am, is rooted, and my job is really to pull back the curtain and stand in advocacy and allyship and sponsorship and be in community and coalitions um, towards constructing equitable spaces, opportunities, policies, and practices that extend beyond um, the higher education world.
1: Dad, just hearing your stories and I, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I am a sucker for origin stories. I can just spend the entire time <laughs> talking about these paths that that have um, intersected and crossed. And, you know, I, I heard something from each of you that sounded like me, except listening to you, um, Natasha, when you were out in the um, quad with the microphone made me think of dear white people. You know? you know
0: what? That's what I thought of too. I immediately thought of dear white people. <laughs> And you it's said, oh, it was like all that. political. I was going to say, dear white people? <laughs> it, it, it was kind of like that, yes.
3: <laughs> people will be walking by like, what is she talking about? If you stop and
1: listen, <laughs> I got processing questions. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, can, I can see that. I can see that. And I could spend all day us just doing this, just talking and finding mm-hmm. out more. Um, but I want to get back to these issues. And they are the same, you know, because we all experience these issues. What you said was, this is how I enter this space, right? This is how, um, and and, and what I have to to give back and how I can provide something better for the folks who came before me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, after me, honor the folks who came before me. So, but let's just back up for just a second. I want to talk about your book for a second because it really does um, encapsulate these issues that you've already raised just in your introduction so for the person who hasn't read your book or doesn't fully understand what is meant by black feminist um feminism or black feminist epistemology and praxis could you offer a brief synopsis of what those terms mean in both your personal and your professional lives and chris i'm going to ask you to start off again sure
2: um I just, it was a joy. Like it was beyond such a joy, um, uh, pride just to be able to engage with these folks, um, uh, to be able to, to, to name some of the things that we experience. And so for me, uh, the language of Black feminisms is the language, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the concept of Black feminisms is the language through which I have come to sort of unlearn uh, myself, learn and unlearn myself my onto epistemologies, methodologies, these words that we throw around, but it's really um, how we do what we do and engage the way we engage, right? Mm And so for me, um, it's less about what I do, but my praxis is about how, right? So how I engage and approach life's journeys, right? As a cisgender, heterosexual black woman um, who is educated, right? it's the reflexivity, um, sort of this constant push and pull that pushes me to reflect mm-hmm. all the time um, about Black women before me mm-hmm. um, and those coming after. It's how, right, got to put my babies into the space. It's how I raise these two beautiful Black humans that I was blessed with um, to mm-hmm. be able to carry, how I recognize place and space in the academy, um, how I persist, white supremacist and sort of patriarchal conditions that are often normalized. All of us I'm sure can share stories of what that has been like for us in our journeys. Um, It's how I attribute, right? And pay homage to those black women, black men, right? Black and queer trans folks, um, women of color um, who have uplifted and named sort of our ways of being as truth and I'll throw in sort of Bettina Love's idea of co-conspirator. So there has been some white folks um, who have stood stood in the gap, um, and so it's it's sort of the how, right? How I do all of these things. That's what feminisms and praxis and ontologies and epistem, all of that means. And so that was sort of me. But I want to highlight our authors and all the folks who have contributed amazing, dope, fire, whatever we wanted language we use, right? Um, pieces, um, conceptual, empirical um, research, right? Um, in their narratives to make meaning of and engage what Black feminisms has meant for them
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um, and how they're sort of been grounded in their praxis and their research across disciplines. Y'all, this book is across disciplines, it's across rank. We have doctoral students, administrators, community activists, right? And so all coming together to really uplift and center what we uh, have come to know as feminisms and epistemologies.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and what those authors of those individual chapters shared, you know, such powerful stories, um, thoughts, experiences, cautions, ideas, and reminders. And so, you know, I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to to dive into into that as we go further, um, um, as we talk about those folks in the present too. But I want to ask you and And you all alluded to this just a little bit in your introductions and just what you said, um Krista. Um, how do the black feminist, academic, and non-academic folks who came before you influence your work, your life, and this work that you're you're offering to us now? Um,
0: right, you- I can jump in. Thank I you. can jump in, and I'm just going to continue where Krista left off. Uh, For me, um, Black feminisms and Black feminists, um, what they offered is meaning, right? Mm. They provided me with um, a language to both understand and explain my experiences. Um, Black feminism means that I am not alone, Mm -hmm. right? And there are women who share similar experiences who are standing next to me and among those women are, are people who who resist, who create, who transform. Now I'm sounding like a, a rapper who
1: advocates, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so uh, and they and they serve as a source of inspiration for me, right? But at its core, uh, it means it means that I matter, right? Mm-hmm. It's chocolate, black girl from the hood, matters, right? Mm-hmm. When when the world and everything about the world is telling her that she is nothing, that she will not be believed, that she has nothing to offer the world of relevance. Mm-hmm. What it's taught me is that I matter. So essentially it's, it's, served, it's served as a lifeline.
3: Yeah,
1: for
0: me. yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. If I could um, build on that, you know, I agree with what has been said. And as the Carmel girl from the suburbs, also a world traveler as a child, I think what Black feminist work has done for me over my life, in addition to what's already been said, is that it has reinforced that the, the importance of being in community with other Black women. Mm-hmm. And the importance of that In a world that has narratives that would say we should not be in community, Mm -hmm. right? That has in my, the privileges that I have had, whether that be color, colorism, or whether that be class that says to me, like, yeah, no, that's some BS what they're uh-huh. talking about and that, and that there's a reason why those narratives exist, right? There's a reason for those narratives and that is to keep us disjointed mm-hmm. um, as as black women, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're, in some respects, I think the world truly understands that we are in fact powerful and that when we choose to speak and we choose to act as black feminists have said, something is going to happen, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right? Something is going to change. And so, you know, the people that have really been influential uh, that I think do the work of, of black, black feminism, and I think they would characterize themselves in many ways. But, you know, I, I really always start with the work of Audre Lorde, and, you know, of course, the Patricia Hill Collins and Kimberly Crenshaw, Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, Nikki Giovanni my mom, right? My mom was the first black feminist that I knew without knowing. Mm -hmm. I remember because many of these people, I didn't have the privilege of even engaging with their work until graduate school and really in my doctoral program. And I remember one day coming home and trying to explain (laughs) the concepts of my mom. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, you just figured that out.
1: Oh. And I, mm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you weren't listening to me. I've been telling you this. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And so in that moment,
3: realizing, like there was a lot of things that I understood that I was learning, you know, from my home, which was being led by a single black woman. Um, and my home being filled with black women and my aunts. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I didn't have that language, I think, like Krista and Tandi. I didn't have that language or that, and it's not even just language, but that deeper analysis and understanding to connect mm. what I was learning and had been learning my whole life in all the spaces I existed in, mm. right, to this, like, larger thing. And I think the work of all of these, these artists, and activists and scholars um, really helped to firm up in me what the fight is, mm-hmm. right? whether it was, you know, I read a lot of Elaine Brown's work as the first mm-hmm. leader, the woman leader of the Black Panther Party. And like what it means to step into that, right, as we're in 2022 and many of us are still the first, first Black woman leader stepping into spaces and what that means for how we operate. And of course, in her situation, if you read what she's writing, she's talking about how uh, the patriarchy is operating within our Black communities, right, um, and being a Black woman leader in that space, in addition to white supremacy
1: Uh and really
3: talking about that intersection of what that looked like. Um, You know, and the Lonnie Guineers of the world who Mm -hmm. were writing with um, Torres and talking about, you know, the miners canary. And I think these things have just really, I think, taken a foot inside of me, you know, like Uh taking a hold and, and really helped me to understand what it means to do the work of Mm -hmm. being a black, feminists, mm-hmm. if that's what we choose to call ourselves, you know.
1: Right. You know, um, I I can't begin to tell you how good this makes my heart feel, you know, because especially throughout this book, throughout this conversation so far, that it doesn't start today, right? That the folks that you are pulling up and calling forth to us, you know, from the past, that I worry, you know, that there are so many i'm in a different age group as all of you i try to pretend i'm not um, mm-hmm. but when i realize that people don't know some of these names still mm-hmm. and aren't still coming to them and that they want to start with the now and erase the past mm-hmm. and the fact that you honor that and and bring that forward i mean audrey lord my daughter's name is justice audrey you know she was named mm-hmm. after audrey lord and justice um, audrey mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and my son's name is mandela Peace, you know, like so. This is, this was. These folks were coming with us, right? And so, just hearing you and reading this in the book, how it comes out that this is not a, a today conversation. Mm-hmm. This is a continuation of a conversation that's been coming, and we're adding our new things to it with each generation. So but it is, is the,
0: the past. Something. The past lives in the present, absolutely, and informs the future, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: And at such a time when only the present seems to matter, Mm. right? And so, you know, so it made me think about why was this book needed at this time? You know, what does Black feminist epistemology and praxis offer us at such a critical and challenging time in the world, in the U.S., and in higher education?
0: Well... (laughs) Higher education doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, this country is at a crossroads.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we're still living in a pandemic, right? Um, we experienced one of the largest uh, anti-racist movements, if not the largest in the, in this country. Um, we're experiencing... Um, We're at the height of political polarization. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Voting rights are being challenged. Women's bodies rights are being challenged. Race conscious admissions being challenged. Uh, Inclusive education, anti-racist education is being challenged. We're at the height of like gun violence and and mass shootings. Um, There's an epidemic of black women being abused and Mm unalive. right? So that means that the people who, who are the most vulnerable, who are already vulnerable, are experiencing even more trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: So I think I think that our book offers hope, right? <laughs> I think it offers hope because it centers on Black women, right? And it's and Black women are particularly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um but not just centering on black women i mean it's about black women using their everyday experiences their everyday knowledge to to um to create and to engage in methodologies and pedagogies that that galvanize for social equity both uh within and outside of of higher education Mm -hmm. right so i think for those reasons i think for those reasons um this book provides hope, and it also provides a blueprint, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll let someone else yeah. jump in.
3: Yeah, I think, so when I hear Tondi name all the things that are happening, I, I can't help but hear, and none of it is new.
2: Mm.
3: i can't help but hear exactly that, exactly that, that none of these things are new and sometimes i think about right like we can't ignore like the role of increasing technologies that right that have allowed for more people to now be engaged mm. with some of these things but the fact is that every single thing even global health even if they haven't happened in our time, they are not. None of it is new, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Like whether we're talking about HIV/AIDS, right? Pandemic, global health pandemic. That was just. Mm -hmm. I was about to say twenty years ago, and I forget how old I actually am because it was was a little bit longer than that. But it's fine. (laughs) Just stick with twenty. Everything's (laughs) twenty. But right, like, and so when I contextualize the fact that everything that we're experiencing, Mm -hmm. none of it is new, I think about the importance, for me then, the importance of black feminist epistemology Mm -hmm. and praxis is because what we, how we responded to those things the first Second, third, and fourth times, they ain't really work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. at some point, I feel like folks both need to and will recognize that it is likely in the coal mine from the canaries. It mm-hmm. is likely the face is literally at the bottom of the well. Exactly. It is that knowledge? Because we've been here. Yeah. <laughs> We've, we've been here and while I would not argue that black women have been thriving in any of those previous iterations of what we're seeing now, it might be in our experiences that folks as Dr. Sule so eloquently put, and we can figure out a better way forward, a better way to address Toxic environments, not only in higher education, but in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, there was this thing that I'd read about um, where there was this police officer in a major city who, white guy, following um, with Black women in their cars who were in. Oh, yes. And sexually mm-hmm. assaulting them. Mm-hmm. Um, black, poor Black women, right? Women in poverty, but following them to their communities doing this. And then, you know, I started reading about, well, first of all, illuminating these types of things that are going on in the world, like the kinds of targeting that we're experiencing. Um, And I started reading, you know, all this research started coming out about the role of, um, supposedly the role of a college degree Mm -hmm. and how that matters for how police engage in the community. Right. So they were saying that police who actually go to college are less likely to be oh, okay. um uh, in right doing these types of things or you know police like engaging in po- police brutality and stuff. And so it just really got me thinking about the importance of not just black women's bodies in higher education, but our ways of knowing and our experiences and our thoughts. And I think that this book really offers that as a starting point for a lot of people to begin thinking about, you know, what, what our knowledge and our contributions mean to the world. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, Tanya, you started out by talking about how you, you did the litany and then said but wait a minute, this is also hopeful, you know, and it offers a blueprint and I think it does. And so it makes me ask that really um, um, important question about um, what about black feminism and black feminist epistemology and this book project brings you joy, you know, brings us that joy, that hope, that Mm -hmm. blueprint.
2: I'll jump in. So um, listen, I'm soaking up this conversation because the conversation is bringing me joy, right? Being in community with awesome and brilliant Black women brings me joy. But I recently uh, got an email request from our university library to plate a book, right? I had to look up what that meant because I didn't know what that meant. Um, As recognition of receiving tenure and promotion at Kent State, right? So of course I selected our text, right? I thought about selecting sort of the bell hooks and teaching to transgress is the first thing that came Mm -hmm. to my mind. But then I said, no, I'm gonna pick our book, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And this is what I wanna share what I I wanted the placard to read um, because I asked us why you chose the book.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I chose this book to represent a collective counter narrative of intergenerational, distinct and intersectional stories of black women in the academy. This is the book I needed as a doctoral student, and I'm extremely proud to have served as one of its co-editors, right? And so engaging Black feminisms as praxis means for me to center, right? This book centers, it is the topic, it is the core, right? It is grounded in every single piece, the forward, the chapter, the conclude, like every single part um, to centers our, our ways of knowing and being, period, Right, not in comparison to, not to conflate with, not to overlay other people's knowledges as our own, not to throw some theory on top of Black women participants and say it's critical, right? Um, But it's, I love how our legacy of who we are as Black women is deeply embedded within how we have unapologetically shown up for, with, alongside, by, right? each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our legacy brings me joy. Um, it's not always easy, right? Dr. Croom talked about the, the, the canaries in the coal mine. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are worth it, right? And this book centers who we are and the unique ways we have traversed the Academy that in itself, all of that is, it brings me so much joy. Y'all got me goose having goosebumps just talking about. This is the type of joys that deeply embeddedness mm-hmm. that no matter what we go through, we got each other. We go continue to show up yeah. and eat and do in ways that matter to us. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Cool. Anybody else want to take a stab at that, Tandy? Tandy, I'm sorry.
0: Okay, I'll I'll say this.
1: I I think that
0: anytime um, anytime we have black women. Uh well, it's, so I'm raising my okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let me inside joke, but uh so anytime we have black women who uh can uh name, uh reclaim, um and affirm themselves, right? And therefore like assert their humanity, uh that gives me joy. Insert the mm. humanity within spaces that are unwelcoming, right? And I think that we're continuing in the tradition of, of scholars like Anna Julia Cooper, uh, the Combahee River Collective, uh, Beverly guy uh, Shaftal, uh bell hooks. That gives me joy that we are still engaging in intellectual activism. So I wanted to say that. Um, thank you for that, Dr. Porter. <laughs> but I also wanted to say this is what this is what I feel. This is what I've seen. This is what people talk about. Black women are tired, right? Mm-hmm. Black women are overworked. Black women are overwhelmed. And what Black feminism tells us, what it allows us to do is to assert that we deserve rest, mm-hmm. right? We deserve to self-preserve. We deserve to sit still. We deserve to, to meditate. We <laughs> to regenerate. Yes. yes. All the reasons- <laughs> and not and not just um like what am I thinking of? Um uh Combahee River Collective, not just for not because it's an act of political warfare, right? Mm-hmm. Uh or is that or is that Audrey, right? But because simply because we're human.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what gives me joy right mm-hmm. now at this stage in my life and my career is to see black women joyfully at rest. Mm-hmm. Seriously,
1: yeah. joyfully
0: at rest, because well, we all work
1: hard, right? Yeah,
0: that I book Joyfully at
1: rest. rest. I struggle yeah. with a part of that, and I think it's so true. And so I, this is where me, um having to change my head, turn my head to a different direction, because both are true, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernice Johnson Reagan, uh, mm. famously of honey. honey in the Rock. Yeah, yeah. So she says. Um, That, you know, that one song that just goes so deep inside of me. We who believe in freedom cannot rest, Mm. you know, right? Until the killing of black kids, um, black sons, um, black mother's sons is as important as the killing of white men, white mother's son. We can't rest, right? So that runs through my head until I finally stopped, you know, reading the the nap ministries work and all of that stuff saying she didn't mean we couldn't rest ever. She just meant the struggle's not done until the struggle's done. So you take your rest right now, but we got some other people in line for you. Mm -hmm. And then when they need to rest, they need to take their rest. But every time I I hear that, that importance of that, her line runs through me and I mm. really had to spend some time interrogating that and really thank you for that thank you for
0: that you that's not. one of my favorite that was like the the anthem you know at their their concerts mm-hmm. you know that's when everyone would stand up we yeah.
1: yeah but <laughs> yeah. you're right thank you for that yeah yeah um okay so we got this incredible book published for those who haven't read it yet and I'm gonna pull it right here off my shelf look here folks for those of you who are there we got both of them going there you go for (laughs) for those of you who are listening on the podcast we held up the book so that you can see it and what we want to say is run out and get it um as you know Bettina Love's been called and said we don't want you to be an ally we need you to be a co-conspirator to be a co-conspirator you need to read this book Mm -hmm. so for you Um, folks who are not Black women and Black feminists right now get this book, but the book's been published. What's the big takeaway, right? What do campuses need to do differently to better support Black feminist academics? What do we as Black feminists need to do to better support each other and ourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I can jump in
3: here in that I think one of the big takeaways and you know some of this has been said already is that to understand let me back up for those who are not black feminists or who do not understand what black femi- feminist epistemology has to offer For me, the big takeaway is for you to understand yourself, who you are, who you are in relation to this world, you need to understand who we are Mm -hmm. because there are through Mm -hmm. our, through what we know to be real with our subjectivities, we know, right? We, we know we, and we see, we experience because of intersecting systems of oppression and privilege, we, there, is an, there is a landscape, I think, that Black women are privy to, whether good or bad, that really needs to be um, understood to really understand the context that we're in. So it's not just, under, right, understand me and what I bring and how I see this space and this world to better understand yourself, but to also understand this thing called higher education, mm-hmm. right, to understand how we are systemically, systematically embedding um, intersectional inequities, right? Don't use our, you know, the outcomes, right? Oh, Black women are clearly thriving because they're earning more degrees.
0: Right?
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, that don't mean nothing if I'm only earning 34 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the and at what,
1: the cost? at what cost? At what cost am I in
3: here, right? Use this book, I think, to understand what Patricia Collins calls controlling images, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm nobody's mammy. I don't care how much I show up in care and love and concern, but understand, I do that because I want to do that, not because you see that as my role. I'm so much more than that, right? I think you can, I think what this book offers as a big takeaway, you know, there are things kind of building off the last question. There are things in here that I had no idea about. Right, black cyber feminism. I'm like, oh, what's that? Let me read about that and what that means and how that shows up and what that looks like. Or some of the more arts based pieces around, you know, how we're using dance and how we're using music to bring to light, right? Not only the experiences but outcomes, the the more fuller pedagogical approaches. Mm-hmm. So I think through reading this, some of the big takeaways again are, are different ways to do some of the things mm-hmm. that we really are wed to that we probably should stop being led to <laughs> right like more opportunities to expand our our pedagogies and our practices overall um I think are are what some of the big takeaways are sure I
2: think for just to add to that thank you uh, Dr cro to add to that for specifically black women who are reading the text um Learn how to own who you are, right? So we've talked about whether you're the loudest in the room, whether you're the quietest in the room, whether you want to rest, whether you're in the mode of sort of pushing and resisting and combating and disrupting, whatever that role is, um, own that, right? But then be in community with other people who can help mentor, right, and pour into um who you are. If anything I've learned in this journey in particular, read after working with this book, it's, we all come to these spaces very differently Mm -hmm. and all of that is okay. Right. Um, but for many of us, we're the only, we're one of few, we're the first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we have to be able to tap into other folks who can continue to pour into us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, we are get getting close to the end of the of this time for this podcast, for this experience. And so I wanted to know if there's anything um, you wish we'd covered, but we didn't get to. Something mm-hmm. we should have um, at least um, sent out into the universe.
2: One thing about the texts uh, that I really value and appreciate is that it's intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we mean when we say that, right? Um, we got the Deborah Harleys, right? We got the, who, you know, who originated sort of this maids of the Academy, right? Um, We got, you know, Auntie, sis, Venus, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Evans Winters, who is offering uh, introductory remarks and really uh, highlighted how we say her name, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We already sort of mentioned Bettina Love, sis, Auntie, right? Um, But also Adrian Wayne, Right. Mm. Stephanie Evans, folks who said, Mm. you know what, I'm going to endorse this book and Mm. I'm going to put my name on it and I'm going to share some thoughts. But just all kind of folks who from doctoral students to faculty to, um, you know, non-tenure track and tenure track to academic administrators, like folks who just poured into their pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and This book would not have come into existence with all folks sort of sharing who they are and what they bring. And so we as co-editors um, to share our sincerest appreciation for Mm -hmm. folks. Yeah, that's great.
1: Look, thank you so much for this conversation. There's still so much to ask, so much more to discuss, so much more to learn, but we're getting close to being out of time. So I would love for us to find a way to continue this conversation and to do that soon. I wanna take a little bit of time to thank our sponsors, Stylus Publication and Leadership. Now Stylus, as we said earlier, is proud to be a sponsor of the Student Affairs Now podcast. Brow- browse their student affairs, their diversity and their professional development titles at styluspub.com. Um, use the promo code, S-A-NOW for 30% off all books plus free shipping. You can also find stylists on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. (laughs) Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences both virtual and in-person for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit leadershape.org forward slash virtual programs or connect with leadership on Facebook, Twitter, hmm. Instagram and LinkedIn. I want to send a huge and heartfelt shout out to Natalie Ambrosi, the production assistant for the podcast who does all the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. To our listeners, I am so grateful for all your time today. This conversation has given me so much to think about, so much to just feel good about, and I hope it's done the same for you. As you listen today, if you found this content to be useful for your student affairs practice, your higher ed practice, and your scholarship, we'd love it if you share this episode with your social media networks. You know, folks, after this conversation, I am really feeling Stacey Abrams right now. And this quote of hers really resonates today. I'm going to move forward because going backward is not an option. And standing still is not enough. Again, I'm Rochelle Pope. Thanks again to this amazing panel, Drs. Krista Porter, Dr. Tandi Sule, and Dr. Natasha Krum. And to everyone who's listening or watching, thank you. Peace out.